0: Right, um, so when, when Twitter was, th- how many of you are on Twitter? How many of many are tweets? No, there's like three of you. Do, do any of you know what Twitter is? Those of a certain generation. Yeah, okay. Uh, how about Instagram? Anyone on Instagram? There's is, is like one. We are, we are such, uh, I don't know, non tech congregation. Um, anyway, okay, so, so but you know what Instagram and Twitter are, okay, social media platforms where you can tell everybody about how wonderful my life is. That's really what they are. So, when Twitter first came out, and Instagram is well, one of the most popular things was hashtag blessed. You remember that? So, you've always got to have a hashtag that's like the little, you know, the little noughts and Crosses square, that thing. Hashtag. And so uh, the popular thing was hashtag blessed. It kind of went out of vogue. I think some people still do every now and then do a hashtag blessed thing. But, but it kind of went out of vogue because it, it got very inane very quickly. It got very silly in a hurry. Uh, and, and people actually started calling the, the hashtag blessed with a photograph to be the, the humble boast. And then they dropped the word humble because they realized there's actually nothing humble about it. It was just a boast. So, someone would post a photograph of them frolicking in the Caribbean with hashtag blessed. Or a big diamond ring photograph, hashtag blessed. Um, Or a, a, a photograph of an invitation to some exclusive party and go hashtag blessed. And what it actually should have been would be hashtag rich. Or, or hashtag spoiled. Or hashtag, I've got better friends and better connections than you. That's really what the whole thing was about. When I was looking for stuff this week, I came across one uh, with, with, with a, a hashtag blessed. There was a photo, a mom had taken a photo of her baby. The baby was about a year old. And the baby was in a designer dress. And the, the caption was, it finally fits, hashtag blessed. And I'm like, what? So she's had this dress for six months and has stuck the baby in the dress every day for six months and it hasn't fit, but today it fits, hashtag blessed. What's blessed about that? So it ended up being this hashtag, tell the world, all the really wonderful things that money and capitalism and wealth has brought me, all the wonderful things that my connections and friends have enabled me to have. And people stopped using it because it just, they, they just got called out on it all the time for just being silly. We still kind of talk about it though. I mean, we sang a whole bunch of songs today about blessing, blessing and blessing the Lord and whatever. And I, and I thought, I think we still want, we still like the idea of blessing and being blessed. We want to be blessed, right? I've just got through Christmas, New Year. And I'm sure there have been, there have been a couple of blessed New Years that have gone around. Or blessed Christmas that has gone round, and I, I think the blessed Christmas was along the lines of "I hope you got lots of stuff." Um, and often we'll say, "You know, I'm blessed because I've got a nice family, or I've got good friends." Some of you can't say that. Um, so, so we but we still end up with this this idea of. I'm blessed because I've got cool stuff, that kind of seems to be the way we think. I'm blessed because of what I've got, and what I've got makes me a blessed person. And that leads us to be thinking that if I don't have, then I must be cursed. I can't be blessed. If I've got a lousy family, I'm not blessed. If, if, If I don't have a nice car, I'm not blessed. If my health isn't doing so great, I'm not blessed anymore. And and when we bring that into the church, it gets very mixed up and very messed up. Because people start saying, well, God blesses me if I've got stuff. And if I don't have stuff, I'm not sure if I'm blessed anymore. And so thank goodness for the song we sang, Blessed Be the Name of the Lord. where, where, Where we're able to say with Job, though I walk through the desert... I can still say, blessed be the name of the Lord, I'm still blessed. But we struggle with that a bit, because the idea of us struggling in life and being blessed just doesn't seem to match, it doesn't seem to go with our world we live in. So here's what we're doing this term, I'm doing a retro thing, hashtag blessed, that's the the sermon theme, you can kind of vaguely see it there, for the next couple of months, hashtag blessed. What, uh, the whole thing is what is blessing really about? What do you have to do to be blessed? What does the blessed life look like? And no, we're not doing Matthew 5, the Beatitudes. We're not going there. What we're going to do is we're going to go to the Psalms. We're going to have a look at a bunch of the Psalms that speak about the blessing of the Lord and being blessed by Him. And we're going to see that the Psalms give us an outline of what the blessed life looks like. And then we'll find that when the Psalms do the hashtag thing, the hashtag blessed, they they don't do an Instagram picture of your latest acquisition or front row seats at the stadium or a photograph of you at the shopping till saying, no queues, hashtag blessed. The Psalms don't do that because they don't equate blessing with that kind of inane stuff. So I, I figured being the beginning of a new year, I thought it would be appropriate for us to do the blessed life. And to start well, and we're going to start this morning with the first psalm, Psalm One, which I think some of you can probably quote. Um, so, if you've got a Bible, you want to turn there. Um, but just a reminder that the Psalms—they're uh, the—that's the, the Song Book of the Bible. We should probably sing this this morning. That's what we should be doing. And this first psalm kind of sets a tone for the rest of the Book of Psalms. It sets out this important theme of what is the blessed life? What does the blessed life look like? And, well, let's read. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So before we get lost in that this morning, let's talk about the word blessed for a moment. It's a fairly comprehensive word. And I know that in a a Twitter, Instagram kind of world, it means um, I have my stuff. It tends to correlate to a brief period of happiness in my life as a result of external stimuli. But the Bible has a far deeper and far richer meaning to the word blessed. All the way back in Genesis, you read about Adam and Eve and how God blessed them. And you get the idea that Adam and Eve are not blessed because there's no cues, but that there is a deeper, richer sense to the full existence that they have. And we know as well that it's not long before their blessing turns to curse, because they decide to go their own way, walk their own route, do their own thing. And then what you, what you end up with throughout the Bible are these two ideas, these two concepts of blessing and curse, right through the Scriptures. Everywhere you go, you see these two things. God holds up these two options. In fact, you get to a point where um, God speaks to the nation of Israel as they're about to enter into the Promised Land, and God says... God's hold that holds out two options for them, blessing or curse. When you get into the New Testament, you, you start reading the book of Galatians where Paul talks about the blessing of Abraham or the curse that has been lifted by Jesus. And so this whole thing of blessing and curse, and it, again, the Bible when it talks about blessing and curse has nothing to do with nice clothes and designer parties, but it's got everything to do with life lived in God. Now, I kind of implied this in, in, in some of the stuff that I've read this week. We, 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 Again, we seem to have this idea that if I do the right things, then God must bless me. I, I've read a couple of preachers and commentators on this passage as well, who seem to imply that this that's what this song tells us. That if we stay away from bad people, and if we read our Bibles then God will bless us. And so there is this idea, and I I think it's kind of the default state of the human mind and of the religious person, that if I do the right stuff, then God has to reciprocate. Right? So if I do enough good stuff for Him, then He must return the favor, and He must bless me. And so a lot of people approach this psalm and say that if I do the right stuff, if I stay away from the bad things, then I will attract God's blessing. And so a lot of people approach the psalm and say, this psalm tells us the way to get a blessing. And I don't think that's true. I don't think that's how Christianity Well, it's not I don't think. I know that that's not how Christianity works. And I'm pretty sure that that's not what the psalm is saying. I don't think the psalm is saying, do this and do this and then God will bless you. I think it's the very opposite. The psalm is saying, there are people who are blessed by God and this is what their life looks like. And that's very different. You get get the difference, right? The one that says, if I do enough right stuff, God will bless me. And the other that says, God has blessed me and that changes the way I live, the way I think, the way I operate. And in a religious thinking kind of world, we tend to live in world one I'll do the right stuff I'll come to church I'll give my money to the offering I'll be nice to taxi drivers and God therefore owes me a good day because I've done stuff it's like the big ATM I put stuff in now I can pull the handle and get stuff out right that's how it works but that's not what Christianity is and that's not what blessing is Blessing, when we look at the Bible, blessing really just means God's favor. I don't know if I need a little cup around my microphone to stop the wind. Um, So, blessing just means God's favor. It's God's grace. And we know that you can't earn God's grace. We can't earn favor. We just can't. The whole point of our Christian faith is that God's favor can't be earned and is not deserved. No amount of hard work and effort and religious actions can make God show favor to us. God acts towards us entirely by grace. And so this psalm then is not about what I do in order to get a blessing... But it's about how the person lives who has already been given favor by God. So it's not do this and be blessed, but I do this because I have been blessed. So again, let me try and tell you a little bit about what I mean by what God's blessing is. Um, In Genesis chapter 6, you have the story of Noah. And uh, the story of Noah starts with... The whole world was only evil all the time. But Noah finds favor with God. And what that often gets turned into in kids' Bibles, and to be honest, in our brains, is something like this. The whole world was bad, except Noah. Noah was good. And because Noah was good, God rescued him. That's kind of how we think. That's kind of often how children's Bibles are, uh, 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 how they set out the story. That's not the story of Noah. The story of Noah that God sets out for us in Genesis 6 is this. The whole world, including Noah, was bad all the time. And God in mercy and grace shows favor to Noah. Why? Because Noah is good? No. No. Noah is that God shows favor to Noah. And because God shows favor to Noah, Noah is called a righteous man. Noah is not saved because he's good. Noah becomes good because he's saved. And that is a sign, or a, or a kind of a, a picture, I guess, of the blessing of God. That's what God's blessing, God's favor, is. Noah finds favor with God. Noah receives favor blessing from God, not because he's good, but despite the fact that he's not good, God favors him, and God spares him, and God saves him, so the point this morning, I hope you get this, I'm driving it in, you're bored of me already saying the same thing over and over again, but driving it in, right, the point this morning is not follow these simple steps and get your blessing, but rather, that God shows favor, kindness, and mercy toward his people, and God's blessed people, as a result, live differently. Alright, so, let's go. Now we can actually get to the song. So again, our world would say, blessed is the man who has a big house, or, or blessed is the, the person who has a fancy job, or the person who has any job, uh, or, or, or blessed is the woman whose body shape corresponds to barbie right? that, that's our concept our world's concept of blessing and I don't need to say it again right but the bible does not have that as a concept for blessing at all in no such way and yet, it's the message we hear over and over and over again from our society, whether it's on Twitter or Instagram, or whether it's just on the adverts that we see on billboards or whatever else. That's the blessed life, apparently. And so we start to even subconsciously absorb that, start to believe that. If only I had, if only I was a little bit more like, if only I would, then I would be blessed. But that's not what Psalm one says. Psalm 1 starts off by sending out this negative and the positive. what What the blessed person doesn't do, and what the blessed person does do. And again, it's not do these things to get blessed, but because I'm blessed, there's a way in which I live. And so here's what the blessed person who has received favor from God, what that person doesn't do. And we know the psalm, it says that they don't walk, stand or sit with the wicked, with the sinners, or with the mockers. And there is a downward progression in that, I think, that we can see. I'm not going to over-elaborate and get lost in stuff, but I think there's a pretty clear downward progression to this. It goes from, we're walking along the way, to now we've stopped to stand around and chat, to actually, I'm so comfortable here, I'm just going to have a seat, and I'm going to stay here for as long as possible. And so is there's is that there progression of movement to stationary, to settled to I'm, I'm moving in the same direction as you to I'm standing alongside you to I'm now in the midst I'm, I'm riding with you guys and, and, and the psalmist says that the blessed person the one who has found favour with God does not follow that downward progression into a lifestyle of sin that's all he's saying He's saying that that he's not saying that Christians don't hang out with non Christians. He's not saying that. He's not saying if you're a Christian, you better not walk down the road with a non Christian person because it might go bad for you. What he's saying is that as Christians, we're not shaped by our sinful world. The whole idea of of um, not walking according to the counsel of the wicked. Our brains, the way we think, the way we live, we're not shaped, led, and guided by a world that's in opposition to God the hashtag blessed doesn't walk down the road that leads to dwelling in a place of sin someone clever suggested this to me this week I quite like it he said um, if the hashtag blessed don't walk according to the counsel of the wicked how do they walk where do they walk Psalm 143 says that they walk in God's ways. Psalm 8 says they walk in truth. Ephesians 4 says they walk in a manner worthy of the calling of the Lord. Galatians 5, and this is an important one, Galatians 5 says they walk in the Spirit, are led by the Spirit. 2 John says they walk in love. And so there's these two options here of of those who walk in the counsel of the wicked and those who walk in the spirit, who walk in truth and love. And the psalm says, the hashtag blessed, walk in this direction. Walk along that path. Instead of taking counsel and instruction from the wicked world and being shaped by that, We are shaped by the Spirit of God, by love, and by truth. Where do they stand? If we don't stand with sinners, where do we stand? Psalm 33 says, We stand in awe of God. 1 Corinthians 16 says, We stand firm in our faith, unmoved. Philippians chapter 1 says, We stand together in unity. And Ephesians 6 says, we take our stand against the enemy and his evil works. So instead of standing and making our stand with the ungodly, the blessed man stands firm in awe of God in opposition to evil. What about where they sit? The sit means to to dwell, to abide, to, to settle down. And John 17 says we abide in Him. So again, the point is not that if you want to be blessed, don't hang out with bad people. But rather that those who have found the favor of God live differently, walk differently, live in a different way. We're shaped by something different. And then there's the positive, there's the, there's the other side of it. It's not just this is what they don't do, but he says, here's what the hashtag blessed do do. They meditate on the law of the Lord. Now again, a very simple surface reading of that leads you to go, oh, okay, so if you want to be blessed, you better read the Bible. And again, the, the awful lot of sermons that I read this week by other guys were saying exactly that. If you want to be blessed in 2020, read your Bibles. And if you, if you don't read your Bibles, it's all going to go bad. That's not what the Psalm says. Alright? There is truth, there is merit in the fact that we should read our Bibles. Reading the Bible is a good thing to do. You should read the Bible. You, you should read the Bible every day. Um, please get a devotional thing to help you. I've got a couple of apps on my phone that I use. There's a Charles Spurgeon's Daily Readings. They're wonderful. and You just push a button on your phone and it pops up. It's there. Um, there's Bible... What's it? The, the You Bible. Got a whole bunch of apps. There's, there's, there will be next week a table with books that you can use. Read the Bible. But don't get lost in this idea that if I read the Bible, I will be blessed. But rather... It's that blessed people read the Bible. But even that is not quite entirely accurate. It's not just blessed people read the Bible. we have got to ask, what did this guy mean when he wrote this psalm? And when he wrote this psalm, he didn't have the Gospel of Matthew. And the book of Acts hadn't been written yet. And nor had, I don't know, Second Peter or whatever. The New Testament hadn't appeared And and the book of Isaiah hadn't appeared either. That hadn't been written. And many of the Psalms hadn't been written. In fact, there's a good chance that the only bit of the Bible that this guy had was the first five books. And maybe the book of Judges and maybe a bit of 1 Samuel. That's about it. And so when he says, meditating on the law of the Lord, he's very specifically referring to the very first bits of the Bible. But even that can be a little weird are we supposed to meditate on the first few books of the bible there's some fun laws in that right do not boil a kid goat in its mother's milk you can meditate on that if you like i'm not quite sure how that will benefit you but you could do that Uh, there's another great law that you could spend much time meditating on you must and it's, it's in the bible you must dig your latrine pit 50 meters away from your front door So you can meditate on that, and you can consider just how far from your front door your latrine pit is. Um, And you can perhaps go to the latrine and meditate on that while you think. Uh, So you can meditate, but I'm not quite sure that, again, that that's quite what the psalmist is asking us to meditate on. And so again, someone cleverer than I uh, said this week that maybe what the psalmist is asking us to do it's not to meditate on the specific laws to figure out what God wants me to do with my goat, but that to understand that the whole of the Bible, and in particular those first few books, reveal to us the covenant nature of God. And that when He's asking us to meditate on His law, He's asking us to consider the covenant that God has entered into with us. And the covenant that He's entered into with us is not a covenant of you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. It's not a tit-for-tat thing. It's not you give and I'll give. It's a covenant entirely of grace to the undeserving. And us meditating on His grace given to us will help us To understand the extent to which we have been blessed. So modern society will meditate on bigger houses and faster cars as a sign of hashtag blessing. But we meditate on God's grace given to us. We meditate on His grace and we go, I I, I might be getting a little older and a little grayer. I may have less hair today than I had a month ago. My eyesight is becoming poorer. (laughs) My clothes are my clothes have shrunk. Let's be honest; they've definitely shrunk. Um, But I am blessed. When we do a quick read and study and meditate on the Bible, it's not to find a couple of quick fixes. It's we don't study the Bible in order to find a biblical way of dieting. So that our our clothes won't be quite so tight. We meditate on the scriptures that we may grasp and understand the grace of God given to us. And so this psalmist meditates on Noah and God's favor shown to him. Or meditates on Abraham who worships idols and God saves him. Or or he meditates on, on Moses, who is a baby that God delivers. Or on the nation of Israel, locked up in Egypt as slaves, and God, by his own sovereign action, rescues them. And as you and I can spend more time meditating on, thinking on, considering his great grace, we realize just how blessed we truly are you remember the story when Jesus is having supper at Simon's house? And and a woman comes in and washes his feet. And Simon goes, oh, if he knew what kind of woman this was, he wouldn't let her get anywhere near him. And Jesus says, Simon, I have something to tell you. And Jesus tells a story about two guys who owe a king lots of money. Well, one guy who owes lots, one one guy who owes not very much at all. And the king cancels both debts. And Jesus says to Simon, who... Which of those two is more grateful? Who will, who will be more responsive and more loving to the king? And Simon says, I suppose the one who had the greatest debt forgiven. And there's, there's no I suppose in it. It's like, yes, Simon, you're absolutely right. And Jesus says, Simon, that's the story here. This woman recognizes just how much she's been forgiven of. And you don't see it at all. The one who is forgiven much loves much. In other words, as you realize how great your need was and how great your salvation is, you begin to see just how truly blessed you are. And then it's got nothing to do with the clothes you wear and the car you drive and the house you live in. You're blessed not because you have great abs. You're blessed because of the favor of God given to you. And so we meditate on the scriptures and and, and on what the scriptures point to. And they don't point us to thinking that we must be brave like David and God will bless us. But that we need a savior who is better than David, who will deliver us from our enemies. And because God has provided such a deliverer, we are blessed. And so we're shaped by God's grace. It's what meditating does. It re-centers us. You don't need to go and do yoga on the beach and go on to find that. We meditate on His grace and that shapes us and sets us aright. When we think religion and think that if we do all the right things, God, God has to respond in a certain way, that leads us down a dark road to nowhere. But when we meditate on His grace shown to the ill-deserving... It leads us to awe. It leads us to love. It leads us to worship. It leads us to life. And here's where the psalmist goes with that. He says, Listen, so, "So here's the the blessed person doesn't go there, but goes here." And here's what happens. He says, "Here's the picture of what the blessed man looks like." He says, "He's like a tree planted." Not a random tree that pops up in your garden. I don't know if you've got any like this. I have random trees that pop up in my garden. I have to get rid of them. Birds poop them all over the place and the seeds sprout and I've got to go and poison and pull out and do whatever. This is not that kind of tree. This isn't a tree that's just randomly appeared. This isn't a weed that grows. This is a tree that has been planted by the master gardener. And it is cultivated by Him. It's planted in just the right place where it can draw water. And that's you today. If If you have received the favor of God, if God has shown grace to you, then you have been planted right where God wants you. And I know a lot of us are pretty eager to get up a spade and dig ourselves up out of the hole and move ourselves somewhere else because that looks like a better location to plant ourselves. But God has placed you where you are. And the point is that where He has planted you, there are deep roots that run down to the living waters that give life so that you will not be shaken by the storms Of life. And the winds come. Right? The winds do come. And the storm does blow. And the branches sway in the... In fact, sometimes some of the branches break off in the storm. And leaves a scar. But if our roots are in Him, then we stay firm. And you may in years to come have the scars to show the storms of life. But you planted firmly, because you've been planted by him. And we've seen that in our church over the years. And many of you testify, many of you are a testimony to exactly that. You bear the scars, but your roots are deep. And the winds have blown and the storms have come, and people have walked past with axes and chopped bits off. But you've remained firm and rooted because by his grace he has planted you deep. Sadly, there have been others, some who have been in and out of our church and others that you know, whose roots have not gone gone deep, who have not been planted by the master gardener, who I think have dug themselves up out of their own hole and gone and replanted elsewhere. And their roots have not gone deep. deep. Their roots have been shallow. And they're the tumbleweed that has been, when, when the storms of life have come, they've simply blown away, like the chaff in this story. Just like dry husk that has just been blown away by the winds of life because there's no permanent root so i've got to ask one last question this morning and the psalm doesn't answer it but the question is how do we find the blessing of God? How do we get the blessing of God? So this psalm just tells us what the blessing looks like, what, what the blessed person looks like. He's, he's, he or she is rooted and firm and established. He's meditating on the, on the covenant of God's grace given to us. That's what it looks like. But where does the blessing come from? How do we get this hashtag blessing? How do I get blessed by God? Is it just some random wait and see what happens? Is it like, no, I've just got to wait and hope for the best? What can I do? Can I earn His grace somehow? Two stories from the Bible that will hopefully help us this morning in thinking this through. The first is is the story of Jacob. Jacob is coming home. He had to run away from home 20 years earlier. And he ran away because he stole from his brother. He stole the inheritance. And now his brother is mad with him. And his brother has had 20 years to let that anger fester. In the meantime, Jacob has run away, gone to a different land. He's dug himself up and gone and rerouted somewhere else. And Jacob has lived a hashtag blessed life, right? He's got everything. He's become incredibly wealthy. He's got at least one beautiful wife. He has two of them. Uh, Rachel we're told is beautiful Leah we're told one translation of the Bible says that Leah was hard on the eyes so maybe I don't know where that goes with Leah but he's at least got Rachel she's gorgeous he's got 12 sons and a bunch of daughters as well back in those days that would very definitely equate to blessed. some of you are thinking that sounds like curse back then that was a sign of God's rich blessing so he's wealthy he's got a big happy family He's a patriarch. He's got the inheritance from his father. He inherits, inherits the promises. He is living the hashtag, ble- hashtag blessed life. He's, he's tweeting and twittering and stirring everything. Uh, check it, my gorgeous wife, hashtag blessed. Okay? That's, that's what it's all about for him. And now, now it's time to go home, and he's not so sure of what waits him on the other side. And he sends gifts to his brother to try and sweeten the deal. He sends his family on ahead of him thinking, my brother won't attack my wife, right? Especially when he sees how gorgeous Rachel is. So he sends the family across and all the kids across. And he, he gets to the river. And he's got to cross the river. And that night, before crossing the river, Jacob is alone. And it's kind of like for the first time in his life that he is completely by himself And and there's nothing that he can do to negotiate a deal. Because that's what Jacob's been. He's the negotiator. And that night at the river's edge, a man appears and Jacob wrestles with the man. And he doesn't realize it. But we're told that Jacob is wrestling with God. And there's no deal that can be made. There's no deceit that Jacob can, can enter into. Jacob is wrestling with God. And, and the, 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 the sun rises, it's daybreak, and God says, game over. It's time for you to tap out, Jacob, and admit defeat. And Jacob says this, I will not let you go until you bless me. And it seems that at that moment, Jacob realizes who it is, that he's been wrestling with, and he holds on, he clings on, and he says, "I will not let you go until you bless me." God puts his uh, Jacob's hip joint out, out of out, he dislocates his hip, right? And Jacob still hangs on and says, "I will not let you go until you bless me." And he's not asking God for more kids and more sheep and more goats and a bigger tent he's asking for the favor for the grace for the mercy of God and he says I will not let you go until you bless me. And we're such an instant generation we go oh God bless me. Hasn't happened. Okay, I'll try something else. And Jacob wrestles through the night and says, I will not let you go. Jesus is walking through the town of Jericho. And as he enters the town, there are two blind men on the side of the road. And they shout out, son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd say, shut up. You're making a noise. You're disturbing us. The disciples go to the blind guys and say, "You're disturbing Jesus. He doesn't have time for you." And Jesus walks through the town and the blind with a crowd following him and the blind guys staggering and stumbling along behind shouting out all the louder, "Son of David, have mercy on us." Jesus arrives at a house and goes into the house, the place that he is staying. And the blind guys come outside the house and they stand outside the house and they shout, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus welcomes them in and grants them sight that they may see him and they follow him on the road to Jerusalem want to be blessed it comes from this that we plead that we cry out oh Lord have mercy on us I will not let you go until you bless us not an arrogant demand not a case of, I deserve because I've behaved well. I read the Bible this morning, didn't I? But I am penitent, looking for mercy, pleading for grace. Oh, that you would bless me. And so that's, that's, my, that's my hope. That's my appeal. That's my, that's, my, that's my wish for the next two or three months heading towards church camp. That we come before him as penitents in need of grace and mercy every single day. Many years ago now, a little book came out called, you'll remember it, The Prayer of James, And I roll my eyes because, oh man. Because it soon turned into the chant of Jabez. And if you just say this chant often enough, good things will come. Some of you remember it. And it's, back, it's actually very great. It's based on the prayer of a guy called Jabez. You never hear about this guy called Jabez. He appears once in 1 Chronicles. And his prayer is, it just simply goes, Oh Lord, that you would bless me. And... And that little prayer becomes this chant of, if you just say it often enough, God will answer you like JBS, and he will give you more and expand your territory and make you a better person and everything will be wonderful. I, no, that's not where it goes. So it's not the chant. But it's the essence of what JBS says. Oh Lord, that you would bless me. And that needs to be our prayer. Not our chant that we deserve and if we say it often enough it will come true but that needs to be our prayer. Oh Lord that you would bless me. Oh that we would know once again your grace your mercy, your favour that we may walk in your ways led by your spirit standing firm in our faith, abiding in him, planted by that stream Knowing that we're blessed, no matter what storms blow our way. Come, let's pray. Oh Lord, that you would bless us, that we would be reminded once again of your great mercy and grace poured out on us, that we would be reminded once more, that though undeserving, you have shown great kindness. Will help us, help me, to get out of our minds this idea that, Blessing from you is determined and dependent upon what we see around what we have in our hands. But to recognize that your blessing is deep grace given. And Lord, in the midst of our joys and our sadness, in the midst of the heartache and the excitement, in the trials and tribulations, and in the smooth, easy life, that in every situation, that we would see that we have been blessed beyond, beyond all measure, by the God of grace and faith, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. And now join us for a cup of nice warm cup of coffee and be blessed as you drink.